Podcasting live from Studio 2520 in Akron, Ohio. This is Tackling the Chicane with Robert Lucius and Garrett Lucius. Welcome, one and all. Well, here we are in our luxurious subterranean studio. Uh, took a few days to get everything squared away, but uh, I think we're ready to roll here with our podcast, huh? Yeah, I'm definitely really excited for this. Uh, I've always wanted to have an outlet to talk about things that I like, like F1 and soccer. Um, and it's kind of the two things, two sports that you can't really talk to everyone about, you know, you can go up to someone, Hey, how about the Browns? You know, and even if they don't really know anything, they'll still talk to you about it. Whereas you talk about F1, you talk about soccer to someone, you might get a funny look. You might get someone that goes, yeah, I don't really have any idea what that's about so well mainstream mainstream sports like football and baseball um you even if you're not a fan you're subjected to it by radio just being in the car or sitting on the couch watching the evening news you get to catch all the highlights whether you like it or not not necessarily the case with motorsports uh, unless it was nascar which yeah has waned a bit in popularity but um that's that's an interesting point because F1 has gained so much popularity uh, over the course of, I would say, just the last two seasons, maybe three seasons, to be honest, because the Drive to Survive Netflix series um, didn't catch on until maybe season two or three. Yeah. Um, but they've they've drawn uh, viewers that they never thought they were going to be uh have f1 fans uh, mm-hmm. females uh, younger younger kids yeah millennials sure uh, uh, well i mean i i see instances of the rising popularity a lot um you know i go to college in columbus you get a pretty diverse group of people there and uh you know it's starting to become more of a commonplace thing where you see F1 merchandise, usually a lot of Red Bull, but you see a lot of merchandise around. There are people that, you know, maybe they don't watch races really necessarily, but they know the names of people or they have heard of these guys. Um, And then just to touch on soccer for a bit, I think it's about in America, maybe a decade or two ahead of F1 in terms of gaining eyeballs and you can mostly equate that to the English Premier League Um, once broadcasters especially NBC bought these rights and started putting money into it uh, it became you know commonplace to see people talking about the Premier League or soccer in general and then you know seeing it on TV and it's starting to really put a foothold into popular culture um and of course soccer it's a little different because there's all types of leagues and teams and cultures with that but in america i think soccer would definitely be a bit far 
behind where it is now if it wasn't for the Premier League. But yeah, sure. Well, let's let's back up a little bit because I think you you touched on how this this podcast um, vision that that you had, and um, of course, I was excited when you said that you'd like to do this with me because uh, being a new to motorsports and especially um, after some 18 years of uh, being my son and not having any interest in anything with wheels. Um, it's been fun just having the time uh, to watch the races together. But um, the podcast is, the idea behind the podcast is uh, to talk about sports that the opposite person doesn't have all of the knowledge or, or isn't knowledgeable about it. So I'm going to, I'm going to be learning a lot about soccer from you and hopefully you'll be learning a lot about F1 from me. Um, and I think, uh, it'll be interesting, especially as the, um, I don't know, are we calling it soccer or football? We're calling it soccer. Okay. Uh, as the season progresses. America. Yeah. As the season progresses, um, Obviously, that's that's when the so- the soccer part of it, of it gets really fun. So, yeah, um, we'll have plenty of, to talk about on the soccer side, pretty much all the time. Um, right now, the European season is at a standstill just because it's the off season, but there's always stuff to talk about. But um, yeah, it should be interesting to uh, you know have this opportunity to learn about sports our respective sports and then have an outlet to talk about it. Um, because I don't know anyone else in our family or you, you have friends that follow motorsport, but, um, you know, we can't go to gatherings and talk about F1 or soccer. So no, or, or IndyCar for that matter. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think it's a case of, having to choose one over the other um i've been a, i've been into cars since i could i could stand up since i could talk um my mom would tell me stories of me identifying certain makes and models of cars at as early as age four um and i just always had a passion for anything with wheels i used to go to uh dirt track races with with the neighbors um when I was younger, small tracks down in Southern Ohio, you know, where the guys probably didn't have $3,000 invested in their car, but it was still very visceral, loud, the sounds and the smells and everything. Um, and then I just kind of graduated from there. Um, my earliest memories of, of road racing uh, as a spectator would, would have been high school. Um, I had a good friend whose father had the, uh, Porsche Audi Volkswagen dealership in Canton, Kling Motors. And Paul Kling and I, uh, became pretty fast friends. Um, and his father was, uh, was a, a big fan of road racing. So we spent uh, quite a few summers at uh mid ohio and nelson's ledges um when we were in high school like maybe uh 
you know, junior, sophomore, junior year. Yeah. And then um, I came back to Indy pretty strong in the late 90s. Uh, met a guy who his family traditionally had been going to the track since the early 70s, and uh, he was kind enough to ask me to go along in 1999 and uh i made it to the next uh 20 or so yeah and then uh of course 2020 was a complete shit show <laughs> and uh yeah. 2021 was your high school graduation so yeah. uh, okay to miss it for that i uh, wasn't too happy about the 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 former but um yeah so yeah uh we're and that kind of plays into we'll probably be talking about since you and I are going to attend our first road race first race together uh at mid-ohio in July and I'm sure that will give us some decent content yeah uh you know I think it's important we're going to mainly focus on f1 I think um but you know motorsport is so popular in general because of all the different series um so i i don't really understand why some people have this elitist mindset of you know they refuse to watch other series you know so i think i think giving a platform to indycar especially because it's kind of an americanized f1 in a way open wheel series you know i think that's important because indycar has had a very influential uh part a very influential part of american motorsport and then in world motorsport because uh, i know some people would say f1 wouldn't exist if the indy 500 was never ran well so. i it's it was the only form of open wheel motor racing in the United States that people could read about and didn't read much. Let's face it. The Indy 500 is the the crown jewel jewel of, of the Indy series. Yeah. It's the Daytona. There's a reason why they get a half million people at the track every year. Yeah. Um, but not to digress. I, I agree a hundred percent. I think there's going to be cases where if we're focused on F1, there's always going to be something, maybe notable to take a few minutes to talk about yeah whether it be indycar or nascar yeah well you can't really talk about some of these series without mentioning others i mean just look at romain grosjean you know i think most people would be interested to know that you know fernando alonso made a rather poor effort at the indy 500 or you know jimmy johnson stinking it up all year so far right car so i mean there are links all over the place so you kind of almost have to at least mention other series of racing one thing i've i've picked up on especially since we've really kind of dug in this year with f1 probably even more so than i have in the past um I would follow the app and get notifications every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we've made an effort to watch just about every every race this year, coupled with the uh, Netflix series, which to me was a great reintroduction to the series. Yeah. Um, so well produced and, and 
it actually made it for me way, way more interesting to watch F1 because I was a naysayer, uh, like a lot of people are. And I would say, why, I don't understand why you would watch a series where nobody passes anybody. (laughs) Um, there, there doesn't seem to be any urgency. Sure. The, the, the breakthrough for me was the radio com. Yeah. That if you, if, the people who are listening haven't watched, first of all, haven't watched the Netflix series, not the shill for Netflix, but uh, it, if you're at all interested in F1, it's a it's a great place to start. And it, it creates the right attitude to sit and watch a race because now you understand the thousands of things, literally thousands of things a second that are happening in these cars that the driver has full control of. Yeah. And there's no other series that has six engineers on a pit box. Yeah. That are watching thousands of parameters at once. Yeah. Well, you have what? 10 guys that aren't even the engineers that are in the garage, of course, waiting for a pit stop. Uh, but you have so many people who are invested into this car and that have invested millions of dollars into this car like this car literally hundreds of people went into the development of the car it's essentially it's like a rocket ship on land with all of the things and i'm not an expert on it at all but all the things it can do everything you can control usually with just a push of a button so that that's pretty interesting to me well i think a good segment to have on the podcast would be maybe just a short uh did you know type technical section you know and just talk about a specific aspect mechanically of the car because there there are rules obviously that these guys have to follow and they have to use a lot of the quote-unquote same parts but that's been the history of motorsports since motorsport existed is manipulation of the rules how can we bend the rules to take advantage and make our car better exactly i'm using the part but you didn't say that i couldn't do this to the part exactly so and yeah uh there are a lot of things that i think make f1 incredibly unique um just going back to the netflix series of course you are someone that's incredibly knowledgeable just on cars in general. But for me, that is not at all really interested in like the functions and how cars work. Maybe that'll come with more time, but it's like the personalities get you interested in the races. You get invested into these guys and their stories, you know, like some people go in, why, why, why do you pay so much attention when, Max Verstappen is 90% going to win at least half the races in the calendar. Well, because you're interested in this guy and his team and his upbringing, and then you're interested in all the people that want to beat him. And Max Verstappen didn't just step into the car and start kicking everyone's ass. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he's an incredible driver, of course, but people need to realize that most of these guys that are in this series 
have known each other and have competed against each other since the age of five or six. Yeah. It, yeah. With starting with carts, usually, uh, I had seen a video not too long ago. Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc of Ferrari have been racing for well over a decade now. And they've been in F1, oh, what, maybe seven years? I think Verstappen started in 2015. So these guys know each other. And the average age of, of an F1 driver is you know, twenty something. Yeah. Um, and there's there's some some guys that are in F Formula Two, which I may have to brush up a, a bit on, um, that are in their teens. Yeah. Well, you, and we're getting to that point in the season, which we can get into later, um, where you start to hear the rumblings of these, you know, proteges down in the lower series. I know the big one right now is Oscar Piastri. Uh, contracted to Alpine, it, you know, these drivers have, you know, a contract, but at any given time, the team can punt them away, you know, and there's always that pressure of knowing that um, there's going to be guys that want your seat, and if you're not performing, you're going to get the boot, regardless of how good of a driver you are. Uh, one of the things that didn't surprise me but was very interesting to me also was the the money influence um and how that affects the selection of the driver yeah so to speak um we've we've seen from watching the series where if daddy has enough cash it doesn't matter if you're good or not you get the seat well yeah we can name names, Lance Stroll for one, but um, yeah, that's one of the things about F1 that you kind of just have to go in and just accept that, of course, these guys are all insane drivers from a technical level and skill, probably, you know, 20 of the best drivers in the world, but that doesn't mean that you know, some of them have probably had a little more help getting there and staying there than others. Also documented in the series, um, and I, I'm going to have to probably go back and, and rewatch it. Um, it's I, I did a lot of three and four in a row. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I know they, they talk a lot about how um, these guys come from pretty diverse backgrounds from all over the world, so definitely um worth probably a double look for me as long as uh the current field of drivers is going to stay which i don't know there's probably a few guys that uh are on the cusp yeah um you know let's just let's segment let's transition into a kind of a synopsis of what's happened so far since we are starting kind of what we've had nine races so, um, if you just look at the bottom of the standings, you're going to see one team that sticks out like a sore thumb because they have uh, exactly three points after nine races, uh, top ten in any given Grand Prix, 
is able to score points for your team, starting from 10th being 1, and then if you win, you get 25, sliding scale from there. Uh, Williams, a British team, 10th place. They've been 10th place, I don't even know. How many years in a row has it been? Three, four years? Yeah, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a not a tragedy. Nothing is tragic about a race team that can't get their shit together, but especially with the budget they have. You know, in in the early two thousands, they were the they were the Red Bull. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I won't say they were the Ferrari because no one is ever the Ferrari except for Ferrari. Yeah, and that will never change. But yeah, to see Williams in the basement like that, uh, with you know three constructors points. They're just not getting anything done on the track at all. I mean, the thing is virtually a tractor. And they have Alex Albon, who has raced and scored valuable points for Red Bull in the past. And obviously he is not going to be there much longer because he's just way too talented to be in that thing. Um, We've seen examples in the past of guys who look like absolute heroes in one car. Yeah, and then well, they switch teams, and they can't do anything right. And Albon is not like, I wouldn't say he lit up his time with Red Bull. Uh, clearly, he is not, I don't think we'll ever be in that seat again. But he's definitely better than being in the Williams. Um, but to touch on a driver that is on the chopping block, uh, Nicholas Latifi, um. To be quite frank, he's just been piss poor this year. Um, and, of course, you can always blame the car. The car is horrible for Williams. Um, but he has been terrible this year. He is the only guy, well, one, that hasn't scored a point, And two, I'm pretty sure hasn't scored a I know he hasn't scored a point. I don't know if he's the only guy. But two, you know when you're going to go watch a qualifying session, he's not getting out of Q1. Yeah, I'm just I was just looking at some stats here. And for the 2022 season, the highest position uh that Williams has finished in is ninth. And that was Albon. Right. It wasn't Latifi, so Yeah. Um I have no idea how I just do not see a pathway for him to continue in F1 at least for Williams and he could honestly probably go to a different team and do marginally better, but from what we've seen so far, I, I'm not exactly sure what his highest finish is this year, but I I mean he hasn't scored a point, so that's that's dreadful after nine races. There's just no way Williams can go on like that. Especially when they're pretty much desperate for any points they can get. And I believe we've seen mid-season changes right um i can't again i don't out of the out of the gate here i i need to do some more research but i i believe there's been mid-season changes in the past there, with drivers. Well, yeah um not this year but um pierre gasly if you'll remember uh started a season for red bull i believe 2019 and got punted um, and Alex Albon took that seat. So Pierre Gasly continues to be in the series. He's doing pretty well this year. 
all things considered, with AlphaTauri, which is basically Red Bull B. Exactly, and that's one of one of the things that I've noticed in F1 is when there is a B team like that, mm-hmm. they're, in my opinion, they are never going to be as good as the A team. Yeah, and well, that that's a perfect that is a purposeful position, I believe. Yeah, well. Williams, which runs with a Mercedes powertrain, uh, they basically are acting the same way with Mercedes. Uh, George Russell ran with Williams the past couple seasons, is now uh, in that second Mercedes seat. Um, And he has probably been the most consistent driver, maybe other than Verstappen, but Verstappen also has two DNFs. but George Russell has finished every race and has never finished lower than fifth so far this year. Well, let, let's face it. These, these machines are, are pretty complex. And if everything isn't exactly as it should be, we've seen very competitive teams, and we'll get to it later, I guess, but we've seen very competitive teams who look unbeatable uh, have major issues with powertrains or drive units or simple systems that you would think uh, would be worked out, but it just speaks to the overall compli- uh, complexity of these vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just looking at yesterday, and we'll dive into uh, the Canadian Grand Prix most certainly later, but I mean, we have Sergio Perez, who's second or third in the driver's standing, championship standings, I think. Um, And he had a mechanical failure. So you can't always go into a race knowing what's going to happen. So, yeah, a lot of times it is actually easy to blame the car when drivers are doing poorly, but some drivers definitely not. Let's talk about um, the second to the bottom which is the uh, Haas team. Or Haas, yeah, if as, you're across the pond. If, the, if you're British, it's Haas. Which is wrong. Right. Um, also, not doing great, no. but considering the age of the program, um, could be worse. And they've had disastrous seasons in the past of like literally zero points. Um. So they can do worse. They're on 15 points. They're one point behind uh, Aston Martin, I believe. Yeah. Um, Look, they are the team with probably the biggest chip on their shoulder. Uh, American ownership, like by far the smallest budget. They're running uh, Kevin Magnuson, who they booted from the team in 2020. Uh, because Nikita Mazepin uh, basically <laughs> said F all of you when uh, Putin invaded Ukraine. So, <laughs> yeah, they kind of uh, were completely screwed over by their other driver who, to be honest, I don't know if he was the answer anyways. But, yeah, they definitely biggest chip on their shoulder. And they seem like the team that just the wildest shit happens to them all the time. Well, they also are running a Ferrari powertrain this year, which 
has not been without its shortcomings. Arguably the biggest story of the season so far. I agree. Uh, I don't know what happened in development in Italy. Yeah, but uh, they're having they're having some major issues with the power unit and you know some ancillary stuff on the car. Um, but you know that's what that's the risk you take when you hook on you hook your wagon to a uh, you know a Ferrari or a Honda. Um, you just don't know what's going to happen. I guess after, especially after the dominance of of that particular make for that, as long as they were are you know were dominating or at least being, and they're let's face it, they're still competitive. Yeah, uh, but definitely not where they want to be. Uh, I believe two thousand nine was the last time they won a constructors championship, which by Ferrari standards is like the end of the world pretty much well and again i this is something that i'm gonna have to study up on but the dominance of mercedes and lewis hamilton had a lot to do with they had figured out the ultimate way to construct the car yeah to give them an advantage and they were able to hide it in such a way that f1 I believe finally said after, you know, eight years, right. We're going to redesign this and it's going to be, I believe that's where the, um, the rule came that everyone is going to share more of the same components on the car. Yeah. Because well, formula one, you know, it's never been a spec series, you know? So it's always kind of been like whoever was the smartest and usually with the most money you know, you're going to have the fastest car. But uh, I think F1 is kind of coming to their senses and realizing, you know, we're trying to, we are the most followed motorsport, but we're trying to expand our market. And especially in America, in a giant country where every league has salary caps and uh, to me somewhat overinflated rules that make it almost competitive to its detriment um i think they realized that yeah mercedes winning eight times maybe not the way we're gonna get new eyeballs on the on the series well and with the united states being fairly new to the the whole f1 experience f1 did make an attempt in i believe it was 2000 um the speedway out in in, in uh, Indianapolis spent tons and tons of money to put a road course in specifically for F1. And as I remember, I think they had two races and the second race there was a Michelin Mich- spec tire debacle. Yeah. yeah, was that I could just be making this up, but I know I think it was 2005 maybe. So for they that race. they may have they may have had a few uh, Grand Prix out there than if it was 05. Because I know I was, I still have a ticket stub from time trials or practice, not time trials, but practice, um, and it's 2000. Okay. So, yeah, there probably was more than one race there, right. I would assume. But that seemed to have been the nail in the coffin uh, because it was just a horrible race. Well, they called it after, you know. So, well, there were six people in the race because exactly everyone with 
whatever tire was not <laughs> equipped to run the race and it was just a total shit show yeah these are these are all things that i need again i need to look up some of this info because i you know i'm thinking back and having the conversation is prompting some memories of things that have happened but um i i think it's important to mention now that with the success of the the miami race and you know texas has always been successful the the uh, circuit of the americas yeah um and now with vegas now my my honest opinion is if you can pull that if you can pull an f1 race off in vegas multiple years best of luck yeah i but these these races have been shown to bring you know hundreds of millions of dollars to wherever they're they're being held so you never know if vegas is down with it and it works out and it seems to me like there's definitely a certain class of people that attend these things. Um, yeah. I I had a buddy that went to the Miami race, and I the cheapest ticket you could get face value was $600. Well, here's the thing with America. You're not going to price the fans out because they're already used to paying egregious prices to go see, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers play 30 games below 500. So that is really not an issue. Um, you just need to create uh, fanfare and interest in the series. But, yeah, I, we're probably digressing a little bit. But Yeah. Know. Are we going to go through the top 10, or are, we just gonna, are you just touching on some of the more interesting positions I that mean, people are in? We can, yeah. I just wanted to start. Well, you mentioned drivers that were kind of on the chopping block you have to talk about williams in that instance um aston martin i think is interesting because they have a four-time world champion on their team um and they're you know you know they've rebranded a few times um and they have lance stroll whose dad lawrence stroll is a canadian billionaire who basically throws all the money in the world at this team um, so far pretty underwhelming and they've been underwhelming for a while. Um, as a racing point in 2020, they finished fourth, but since the rebrand and the partnership with Aston Martin, things haven't gone as smoothly. They have made some upgrades to their car that seem to be working out a little better. Uh, Lance Stroll ran in the points yesterday, but it's, it's interesting to watch sometimes when i'm watching a race i feel like some of the drivers are content just to kind of tool around in the back sure but it could it could be more a case of they just don't have any kind of speed to to be competitive yeah um let's see here alfatari i mean they're probably like the least noteworthy team to be honest because they're just red bulls farm team if we're gonna simplify it um alfa romeo interesting rookie uh joe guan yu the chinese um he's been pretty unlucky this year and you'll start to see a pattern here this season with drivers that have been unlucky it's usually because of a ferrari powertrain 
Um, yeah, for sure. They've anyone who's running that that power plant has has suffered ill fate at some point this year. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm assuming that when you throw wads of cash at Ferrari, you're supposed to be getting very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're supposed to be getting some fine support with that, I would think. Yeah. Well, you definitely expect a certain quality. (laughs) Exactly. So um, we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. Sometimes teams will will figure it out, correct things. Um, other times it just, once it goes south, it stays there. And, yeah. uh, this, the season just kind of yeah. escapes, escapes you for whatever reason. McLaren had had some historical seasons like that where they just couldn't get their shit together. Yeah. And even though it was a Honda powertrain, they, you know, Honda's <laughs> Honda is one of the most reliable. Yeah. Mechanical pieces of equipment in the entire world yeah well yeah they they had a they had a season where they couldn't keep a car on the track either yeah and a lot of that's engineering mclaren and uh williams are kind of the same in that not only are they british but you know they're kind of like reliving they kind of bask in the glory days type of thing where they used to be extremely competitive. Of course, McLaren doesn't run a shit box every week, but they they McLaren have kind of gone from title contenders to happy with being the best of the rest. Well, and interesting to note that they had them they had four cars at Indy this year. Yeah. So, um you know, I don't know obviously that's a completely different animal. But sure. I hadn't seen McLaren have that kind of presence at, at Indy ever until this year. Yeah, so. and they they definitely have, a, of F1 fans in America, they're probably one of the more popular teams. Also, having an American CEO and Zach Brown certainly helps. Well, and I'm sure he's making the argument that, you know, we're, we can get out in front of, you know, over the course of 30 days in May, and especially the last week in May and the last weekend in May, because most people who go to the race will go to carb day. They'll go to the practices. They'll go to the qualifying the weekend before they see four McLaren cars and they, it's easy to sell hats. Once you sell hats, they'll start paying attention to the other series. F1 probably most likely, but Um, and they also benefit on having probably the most likable personality in Daniel Ricardo. Um, so that certainly helps. Um, and then we get in, let's just talk about the top three, uh, over the past decade, formula one has been dominated pretty much by three teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, Mercedes winning the last eight championships, constructors, um, Mercedes are kind of like the evil empire of F1, I would say. Uh, You have Lewis Hamilton, who you either love him or hate him. Uh, George Russell, 
hasn't ran with Mercedes long enough to really get much of a reputation either way, I don't think. Um, but yeah, I think it's a lot of people this year are kind of loving that they're struggling by their standards. They're in third place, but a pretty distant third from Red Bull right now. Well, they have a team chief that is arguably one of the biggest dicks in the entire series. Yeah, I don't even think that's arguable. He's so, <laughs> just an ass. I mean, even the team chiefs have a, a rapport. And if you watch the Netflix series, you can see that even though it's alt- the ultimate competition, they all respect the fact that this is a job that is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, regardless of if they're racing or not. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine the pressure, but that's ultimately what draws these guys to motorsports is they like that. Um, yeah. They don't always like the position that they're in. Of course. But you, uh, they're thirsty. They're addicted to winning, basically, and competing. Yeah, there's, there's a level of arrogance with Mercedes, uh, and I, I'm sure that comes from eight championships in a row. Well, I, it's earned. Sure. For sure. But but you know what? I've noticed, especially uh, the last few races, um, now that Hamilton can see straight because yeah. he has a semi-decent chance, he's become uh, a lot less angry. He yeah. was extremely humble yesterday um, with his, you know, P3 finish yeah. at well, the Canadian Grand Prix, but... Uh, to, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know what his what his contract is with Mercedes, or if if he's even interested in, you know, riding that train much longer. I I don't know. He seems to be. I mean, he's pretty. He's done it all in F one, and I think he's knows that. I'm not sure how hungry he is to be winning these championships anymore of course he wants to win them but you know we've got guys like max verstappen and charles leclerc in the series and quite frankly they're i think max verstappen right now is a better driver than lewis hamilton charles leclerc is right there but i think on a good day which few and far between but on a good day he's better than lewis hamilton this year well he definitely he seems to have the speed um he's got the chops and let's face it um the car has a lot to do with it but these drivers they're they're so programmed um they're they're really like robots when they get in these cars and i think a lot of people would be interested to know that most of these guys don't give two shits about cars, period. They're, yeah. they're not real enthusiastic about cars. Yeah. They're, they're machines. Yeah. They, with the advent of simulation and how these guys train, they're doing repetitive robotic movements inside that car. It's, and they're it's using, yeah, it's, it's a job. I mean, one of the greatest scenes in this in the Netflix series, and I, I don't remember if it was, uh, it might have been Gasly or or o, uh, Ocon, but he w- he had his eyes closed, and he was sitting in a just a 
like a, a simulator, but there was no screen or anything. It was just a wheel, pedals, and a seat. And all he was doing was, in his mind, he was ru- he was running the course in his mind. Yeah. And he was figuring out his brake. He knew to the second what his braking points were, and he wasn't even looking. Well, we're starting to see the guys like LeClaire, like Verstappen, these guys that have grew up doing these simulations, they're starting to build this gap. And the the old heads are definitely aging out. Um, Alonzo, Hamilton, Vettel, you know, these are guys that were dominant. And, of course, Lewis Hamilton's still dominant. But new technology and new ways of racing and becoming better are certainly starting to show with the new drivers who I think are more technical and I think just generally a bit more gifted. One of the things I I've noticed about F1 um, versus just about any other major racing series is the drivers who age out and retire uh, rarely are involved with you know creating a new team or being you know involved it seems to me like Indy's a I keep going back to Indy but NASCAR is quite the same too a lot of times the driver will drive for 20 years and then he starts his own team or he's he's bought into the team while he drove so he has something to do yeah when he's finished driving Mm -hmm. i I don't know that i've seen that in f1 um but i can you know you can see lewis hamilton behind a microphone on tv all day long i i and that's just the nature of the sport is that i think they're not as they're definitely not as loyal to teams i don't think they really have interest in like being in the garage you know, building a championship team. It's it's definitely a follow the money sport. But yeah, well, so many of them are now, and one of the things that that has been lost in in all of motorsports is the purity of it. The just the sheer when you think of and I'm going to go back a, a, a little ways here, but you think about the AJ Foyts of the world and the Richard Petties and the the guys that were, you know, Foyt has been racing or involved with with racing for like 70 years. Yeah. Well, NASCAR is one of those series that you have a lot of instances of guys literally building or being part of a team that they race for. Exactly. Exactly. Um, just, it's just a different, a different mindset altogether. And I think a lot of that comes from the world, the world view or uh, the world, um, participation, I guess, of F1. Um, you know, we're talking about the most popular motor sport in the entire world. So even though we're late to the party in the United States, every other country has been a hundred percent passionate about this series for since they started basically. Yeah. Um, let's just, I want to talk about 
and we'll kind of wrap up this season synopsis, so to say. Uh, I think we need to talk about the for, uh, the battle with Verstappen and Leclerc, which was looking like it would be an all-timer at the beginning of the season, but Ferrari's mechanical issues have kind of not taken Leclerc out of a championship battle because I think he's still third and not that far off. But it certainly seems like if Verstappen gets a couple more wins under his belt, there's not really going to be anyone there that's going to really challenge him. Well, and one of the things I noticed yesterday during the Canadian uh, Grand Prix was his ability to run away from the rest of the pack in not just a series of laps, but like two laps. Well, yeah, I mean, we talked about it right when the race started what, a lap or two in, three-second advantage, and I said, yeah, we're going to need a safety car if we want to see him not win this by 30 seconds. So, yeah, maybe we can sort of segue segue into the, the Canadian GP Yeah, and uh, talk a little bit about our, our thoughts about that race. Um, I took a few notes. Okay. Um, basically, uh, you know, some 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 of the game changing moments i guess for me were obviously when uh lap at lap 9 uh Sergio had his his gearbox failure mm-hmm. which um we're going to uh create a segment here on the show um and we're going to sort of outline when we have one of those things happen and we're going to we're going to call it the gearbox failure Brilliant. Nice. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better name, so well that's our first that's, what it is. that's our first one of the year. Hopefully I'll get a little more slippery with that. Yeah. Um, you know, but that that changed the entire tone of the race because by lap nine, uh Verstappen had such a huge margin on the rest of the field that without having that safety car, you know, we we've got no race. And we've seen a few races this year where we don't get the advantage of, of a safety car. And, you know, once you get in the twenties, when you're that far ahead, it's over, you can pretty much pit, you can do whatever the hell you want and it's going to be real hard to catch you. You're going to have to make some kind of a mistake. Well, and another thing is we have this intriguing thing going on with Red Bull where they have two legitimate contenders, which is not really a case for any other team. So Red Bull were kind of having to do this dance of, well, we want to win the Constructors' Championship, but we want to give our guys the opportunity to win that Drivers' Championship. But when Perez is out of the race, it's okay. Verstappen, go out, win the race. That's all we care about now. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy to me you know, how, how some of the races, the, the strategy doesn't seem to carry from one race to the next. And I know that's kind of, uh, that's a wishy-washy thing to say, because no, none of the races can, you can bear the same strategy, but I, I'm always interested to see too, uh, if teammates get close to each other, um, there's definitely a green light, red light scenario Absolutely. where you're not coming around, uh, you know, the guy who's ahead of you in points or who has well, a better chance at, I mean, at, that's, I'll, that's yeah. arguably the only series 
in racing where that where that works that way. Yeah. Every other form of racing, it's get the hell out of the way. You know. Well, we had that with Alpine later in the race, who were running together, Alcon and uh, Alonzo, and over the radio. And we'll talk about Alcon because I think he did something very important early on. Um, but over the radio, you hear, "If Alonzo comes to pass you, we're not going to fight him because we don't want uh, you to fight him, and then Lewis Hamilton to come up while you guys are." battling with each other and just overtake you both because you're slowing each other down right well there's there's a reason why the guys on the pit box have seen and done and they've 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 seen that those types of scenarios so it's it's all about math it's all about what what the the gap is between this the car that's in front of you the car that's behind you and we'll Hopefully during the the podcast series, when we do our little tech section, um, we can talk a little bit more about how that overtaking happens mechanically. And obviously there's huge, huge things going on technologically with uh, the DRS or drag reduction system, uh, where where those uh, zones are on the track, who's allowed to use it. There's push to pass. You know, you've got yeah. electric motors that are that are, you know, being used for for that purpose. Sure. So, um, I'm just kind of going down the list here. Lap twenty, uh, your buddy Schumacher <laughs> uh, had a little incident. It and initially, just based off of his prior results, I went, "Oh my god, did he crash this thing again?" Like. It's gotten to the point where it's like, okay, buddy, you're just doing yourself in, but it actually ended up being mechanical. Correct. And uh, being a Haas car, we know that that was a Ferrari failure. Yeah. And I don't think it was a gearbox. I think it was a powertrain. But yeah, they sometimes they don't go into the they'll, the, they'll, the technical. Yeah, they'll just say mechanical because Sergio's was a gearbox, Correct. if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Uh, yeah, the powertrain thing has been uh an issue for a lot of teams but uh s- staying on Haas early on literally what the first lap Magnuson touches Hamilton if you remember and his wing gets damaged well we're gonna keep running according to that uh engineer at Haas we're gonna keep running because we can we don't see any issue with the car and its performance no, oh, here comes Esteban Ocon on the radio. He needs to he needs to pit because this thing's gonna come flying off and it's really unsafe. Of course, what two laps later, black and orange flag. Right, your and race is done. One of the things that 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 I've seen in the, in the Netflix series is the constant communication between the pit box and the stewards. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that, uh, they were, they were crying about, you know, that there was probably every team around that car was probably on the radio to the stewards saying, look, this thing's, you know, he, he's got an unsafe part or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that, that basically blew the race for them. A hundred percent blew the race for them. He was, you know, we don't know if he would have been competitive or not at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it 
de- I definitely think it may have had a small effect on the arrow, but it wouldn't have had the egregious effect that having to pit for yeah he certainly thirty four seconds to change the whole nose had on his race yeah he wasn't gonna finish fifth where he started but he could have been in contention for points so yeah um does he need to pit is it unsafe I don't know but I just felt like that was uh, a dick move from Ocon well there's an awful lot of um idiosyncrasies with f1 and one of them is how much control the drivers have over what happens to other cars other drivers yeah just based on radio comp yeah um that's a perfect example i mean there's no other series in the world where where a guy would say he's got to get off the track you know it's up to the officials to decide that Um, and i'm sure it happens in some of the other series as well but I also had a, another lap of a couple laps of note here. We had kind of a, a a 23 lap lull where not a whole lot was going on uh, up front. Um, Charles Leclerc had a slow stop um, that cost him a few positions because he had gotten as high as like fifth he, or well, sixth. He finishes fifth in this one. Um, who knows where he could have been? Uh, his pit crew has screwed him already this year at Monaco, I think. Um, it was a 5.3-second stop is what I have written down here. Yeah, which is, by F1 standards, that's slow. Well, yeah, you're, the goal is uh, 2.6 yeah. or 2.8. You want to be in the twos. And anything over that, you, a tenth of a second in this series um, doesn't do you any good. So be, 5.3 is almost two times what you would have liked it to be. Yeah. Um, and he's been, I think, the most unlucky driver this season so far. Just He probably could be in first right now. On that same lap, 43, Verstappen gets boxed. I believe it's for a tire change. And Hamilton actually leads the race at that point for couple of laps i don't remember how many laps it was but it didn't take long for yeah for max to show back up again and hamilton doesn't battle him either if you pay attention no he no he he let him go by without any issue that tells me that there was a market difference in the pace of those cars yeah well hamilton knows he's a smart guy he knows the limitations of this car and then lap 49 i think this was our final uh safety car uh, Sunoda off course. Uh, so left front lockup looks like he just overshot the the corner. And, little little hasty out of the pit lane. Right, right. But again, shows you you know one one uh, one press of the brake uh, with too much enthusiasm, and these cars are pretty fragile. I, yeah. If you get into the grass or sometimes even the gravel with these things, you're finished. Yeah, and Sonoda actually kind of does at least the casual audience a favor. Anyone not interested in or super committed to uh, one of the teams does everyone a favor with that safety car because Carlos Sainz is able to get right on Verstappen's tail and pretty much battle it out for I don't know, at least the last 10 laps or so. Yeah, I, you know, I, 
there's nothing worse than a green flag race. Um, yeah, in any series. Really. In any series. Um, so anytime you can shake things up and get cars stacked back together, especially in a series where Mr. Max has such a propensity just to pull away from everybody right yeah. now. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was a good race and looking forward to, uh, you know, we're just a, not quite halfway through. Yeah. We're nine out of 22 or three. And we've got, uh, Silverstone. Silverstone. Coming up. That'll be, that's a big one. Obviously. It's like driving on a billiards table. Yeah. Supposedly. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, obviously just looking ahead to that, you'd expect your Hamiltons, your Russells to really go hard for that one, the home race. Um, Right now, it's hard to see anyone but a Red Bull driver winning that, but who knows? I mean, qualification is such a big part of the sport, so you can't really make a prediction until after that happens. That's a good point, and I think it should be noted that the standing start makes this series extremely unique also. Yeah. No other series that I know of where everybody takes off like a drag race to the Mm -hmm. first corner, and that, again, once you start to to get the rhythm of how these races work and you know that lights out call to the first corner is the most exciting thing of the entire race as far as i'm concerned i would say so unless you have a real close battle going on somewhere um well i i think we can at least for now put a stopper in the f1 talk we are an hour in uh, and that's fine because, like we kind of mentioned, soccer, we're not going to have all the stuff in the world to talk about. But do you have any last final thoughts? Um, I wanted to actually point out uh, a best driver, a worst driver of the day. I'll just get that started. To me, I think the best driver of the day was Carlos Sainz. Um, his, he, uh, this is his fourth or fifth finish in second in his career, he doesn't have the car to be in that position against Max. And also the skill Max is better to pass him. I don't think anyone really expected that to happen, but he took his opportunities uh, when he could. Um, I, I, I just think he he put in a really good shift. He got points for Ferrari that they really needed. Um and I think he's one of those guys that uh, he he's always going to battle really hard for your team, regardless of where he is. So that was I think that was my driver of the day. Of course, Verstappen was incredible. Again, he was lights out. But to me, I think Signs was just really competitive, made it very interesting. Worst driver of the day? Worst driver of the day, what do you think? Oh, Sonoda. Sonoda? Well... <laughs> That mistake certainly seemed very avoidable. And it, there didn't seem to be, other than than mechanical failures, um, it wasn't anyone else's driving ability that took them out of the race. That was yeah. the only um, incident where the driver error, yeah. you know, cost him probably nothing. Because yeah. I, don't, I don't recall what position he was running in when he hit the wall. But I don't think he was... He was battling for 10th, I think. Well, but, then, there, you know, it could have cost him some, some points. Yeah. For me, the worst driver, 
Latifi was just horrible again. 16th, 59 seconds off of the leader, which, okay, whatever. But, uh, I mean, he hasn't been competitive all year, and nothing changed. Um, who was your best driver? I'm going to give that to Lewis Hamilton. Okay. Um, you know, it doesn't always have to be the winner of the race for me and, and Verstappen, you know, that goes without saying that he's being, he's pretty dominant right now, but Hamilton showed a little bit of, uh, I don't know, trying to think of what the word is. He's, he's not quite the dick that he was well four he, races ago. Yeah. He's, he actually fought a little bit, which hasn't always been the case. And I didn't hear him, you know, crying about his back or his, you yeah. know, this hurts and I can't, I don't know how much longer I can take. Now, granted, I'm not driving at 200 miles an hour, yeah. you know. Well, yeah. But either. I mean, but. We're, we've seen in past races him, you know, a pit stop goes wrong. An overtake. The car's not as fast as he wants it to be. Shut it down. You guys can box me if you want. Well, and we've seen, we've seen uh, what that does to a driver mentally when they shit their pants like that yeah it just one second of not focusing sure a tenth of a second of not focusing and we've seen guys miss turns or off course or you know don't push this button when they're supposed to push this button because they're too busy you know crying about what just happened yeah so the focus needs to needs to be intense uh at all times i guess yeah um, all right. So I, I think we can shift gears here and talk a little soccer at least. Um, so just to mention dad, I don't think you really have any knowledge on the game. I could be wrong, but you tell me, um, no, that's a pretty good assumption. Um, it's still a bit challenging for me to watch on TV. I did enjoy um, the crew game that we went to in Columbus was a totally different experience than sitting in the living room. Yeah. Um, just maybe it's the speed of the game or being able to see the entire playing field at, at the same time versus um, watching it on TV. It just seemed to a lot more interesting yeah and the atmosphere certainly helps um but i think watching with me and we'll have enough time in the summer to at least get you started uh i can fill you in on some you know it's like f1 if you know the storylines if you know the personalities if you know the background of these clubs playing it makes it more interesting yeah i mean i just wish i could figure out the who plays what and why yeah but arguably i haven't really tried to do that so um well we you know. are blessed with starting this podcast in a world cup year and that's pretty much the best place to start that's um every how many years four every four, years. four years unless the greedy bastards at fifa want to make it every two but that's a different topic um do you have any, I think the 
United States national team is like the gateway to becoming a fan. Do you have any prior knowledge of anything they've ever done, basically? Um, that would be no. Okay. Um, well, the United States national team has always had a reputation of being uh, never having the most talent, but always being the team that'll be gritty. They'll you bite, they'll bite back, they'll grind out results. Um, 2002 World Cup was their farthest modern-day run to the quarterfinal, beating Mexico on the way there. That's kind of like the holy grail of all national team games. Um, In 1930, I think they finished third, but that's not even... (laughs) It's like saying so-and-so won the 1920 IndyCar, Indy 500. You know, it's just like, that's great, but it's like not at all applicable. Um yeah, but I was at one point in time in the same boat where I had no I completely ignorant to the sport and didn't care about it at all until World Cup rolled around and that gets you interested because the whole world is watching one thing and I think that's really cool. What age were you when you started paying more attention or any attention, I guess. Well, I would say any attention, probably the 2014 World Cup was my first foray, so to speak, into soccer. Uh, I remember I did a little research project in the school year before about the World Cup, and I was like, well, I mean, I did all this. I might as well watch it a little bit. Um, and the... U.S. national team actually made it out of a group of death with Germany and Portugal and then Ghana. Germany goes on to win that World Cup. Portugal finishes third and is knocked out by us. Um, I remember going to a friend's house and watching the U.S. beat Ghana, and that was a big deal because it was like the first time I'd ever watched them and they'd won. And then I was actually at our grandparents' house, Grammy Linda's, for USA versus Portugal. Portugal have a guy named Cristiano Ronaldo, who even you know. I have heard of that particular player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably the second or first, depending on who you ask, greatest player ever. Um, the U.S. are seconds away from beating them, and... uh give up a goal, but they still, a a tie against Portugal after having beat Ghana before, that's still a great result, probably enough to go through. Uh, They do go through, and then Tim Howard, the goalkeeper in the round of 16, makes like a ridiculous amount of saves against Belgium. They end up losing, but it's a valiant effort. And from there, it's like, okay, I can can follow this. Um, On the club side, though, I had no idea what the hell anything about it was um i had after the world cup i was like you know what (laughs) i'll just see you in four years i guess but uh, i can attribute my start of love for soccer to the fifa video game series i didn't even think about that yeah um that's a great entry point you're not gonna learn about what's actually happening but you learn about these teams 
where you play with these teams, you see all these players, and uh, a team called Manchester City caught my eye because they had a guy named Yaya Toure, and I thought he had a memorable name, uh, an African midfielder who ended up actually in real life being a beast for Man City. So I kind of was just like, you know what? I'm going to start watching them. No idea. I had no idea going into it knowing that Man City had been overtaken by um, a consortium in 2008 from uh, the UAE who had pretty much endless money. Up until that point, Man City had been a mid-table top team or at their lowest point, a third division team, and we'll talk about promotion and relegation at some point, probably not today, but um, not knowing that they were on the cusp of having their pretty much golden age as a club, which I think we're in the midst of right now. Um, And I just started following the Premier League because it was always on, um, and it happened to be the top level of soccer. It's the best league in the world by a pretty significant margin and that's kind of like how you best get into soccer I always I should probably you know be telling people watch MLS it's the domestic league watch the crew I do tell people to watch the crew and go to games that they can but the Premier League is going to get you into soccer because it's it's the highest level it's got it's got probably the most compelling storylines and it's got the best players in clubs that have just a ton of history and huge huge fan bases so that's how I kind of got into it well that's let's see 2022 so been a solid about eight years eight years or so yeah and you know I kind of was very casual for a while and then in the 2018 World Cup that really ignited a fire and now it's to the point where up before Formula One I was watching pretty much exclusively soccer you know I watched the Browns or whatever but it's just soccer soccer all the time and it still is but yeah uh, I just fell in love with it and I can't always describe why but you just it's a global game. There's so much going on. There's so many things that you learn about the cultures of the fan bases and the teams. Um, the club, like the actual idea of a club, not a franchise. Usually working class guys just founding football clubs, you know, for something to do, and then it turns professional. And I, I don't know. I, there's just something really really cool about that and as you go on you know you get more into the actual sport like the tactics and how the game is played but the storylines and like the the passion and the culture for the sport it just hooked me right away well it's it's interesting that that's one of the few major major sports that is still as pure i guess as it is with especially when a club soccer team has the same opportunity i mean theoretically yeah obviously they're not going to have the best players and yeah and so on and so forth but we've also seen on any given day any team can beat another team yeah so 
the fact that they've they've it sounds like and maybe I don't know because I don't know that they haven't gotten so incredibly now obviously you mentioned Ronaldo sure that guy's you know he's swimming in money and who is the yeah. other the other dude that Lionel Messi yeah he's an Argentine uh there to was, me but there was another there was another white there was another white English guy with blonde hair that everybody oh David Beckham yeah yeah I mean that you know those guys are like the uh you know they're they're like the the Brett Favre's of the yeah of the soccer world I yeah. guess uh yeah they're probably you know David Beckham I think is a great player all time he is more uh he's so great and so known because he's English. Like he's not as good as Messi or Ronaldo. I mean, some would argue and die on that Hill, but, uh, but yeah, he's certainly a great player. And David Beckham, uh, I think is so well known in the States because he came stateside, came to MLS, uh, in the formative years of the league and played for the LA galaxy for a time and tore it up. So yeah, he, he cashed in, and he owns a franchise, Inter Miami in MLS now. So he has he's like him or not, he's actually done quite a bit for MLS. Uh, his Inter Miami team's a bit of a shit show, but regardless, he's done a lot. So, is it our intent then um, to try to to talk? primarily f1 until soccer rolls rolls out here in a few months well or? i think it'll certainly become a little bit more 50 50 than okay. today yeah. um it, neither one necessarily has to dominate sure and i and i want to talk about both so um but yeah just right now we're not in the great time to launch a half soccer podcast there's mls going on um but that is not, to be honest, I, the place to start watching soccer, if you ask me. But um, So you, you were in Columbus Saturday for a crew game? Yeah. and Who did they play? They played Charlotte FC, um, an expansion team. And MLS is unique to pretty much every other league in the world in that they operate in American way with franchises and expansion teams and no pro rel, which of course you get a lot of shit for from a certain group of people across the pond, but that's all right. Um, yeah, we, I, Columbus crew have definitely done a lot to, uh, localize some of my passion for soccer because for a time it was get up early in the morning, watch games five hours ahead in a time zone, but yeah, the crew are certainly, uh, a great way to get local fans involved And I mean, you said it yourself. It's really fun to go to games. Well, and I had the, I guess I was lucky that we got to see the last game that they played in, in their original yeah. stadium, which was like a historic stadium for us soccer first soccer specific stadium ever built in america for professional soccer but from what you've told me the new facility is far and above certainly nicer certainly better yeah I but mean, that it, that place had had some charm 
because of it. A ton of U.S. soccer history. I mean, Columbus is, uh, many people will say this, Columbus is the mecca of U.S., at least men's soccer. Uh, They always have had, and the U.S. have had a problem in the past of going to home stadiums and if they're playing Mexico, 90% of the fans are rooting for Mexico. It was never like that in Columbus, however. Um, and it became sort of a fortress, and we'll, we can dive into that more, but this uh, idea of dos acero, there were a bunch of instances where the U.S. would beat Mexico in Columbus 2-0 to zero, dos acero, and they did that in the World Cup as well in 2002, which I said is like the holy grail of U.S. soccer moments. Um so, yeah, we, we have the benefit of being close to a city actually quite rich in soccer history. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, maybe catching another game at some point. Yeah. Um, and then I will have to, just by nature of doing this podcast with you, I will have to um, participate <laughs> in the viewing of some some of these games so yeah uh, i do see you um in the morning typically when i'm working um yeah. so maybe we'll we'll just plan to uh well the weekends we'll schedule a few so weekends, that i can yeah are contribute something full. yeah they're always packed full once the season really gets into a swing uh we can definitely watch crew games and some mls stuff until uh the european season will kick off right last weekend of July um, and I kind of just just to cap things off on this episode as a whole just wanted to talk about leagues to follow um, and this goes out really to anyone listening that perhaps wants to start out and become a fan um, obviously the English Premier League we've talked about that's going to be the easiest way to get into soccer um and that's always on. NBC has the rights to that, so it's on pretty much all of Saturday until it gets too late in Britain, basically. Well, anybody anybody who wants to to um, jump on the train, too, it used to be a lot tougher to find the games being broadcast, but with yeah. all of these, all the apps. The, and the streaming has the made streaming, it a lot easier. You, there's nothing you can't watch. Yeah. Um, and three years ago, that wasn't the case. You had to str- you had to struggle to find yeah. the games, but they're on constantly now. It seems like yeah. And uh, I I think um, any British league would be easy just because the culture is somewhat similar and there's no language barrier. Um, of course, the games are broadcast in English, but I just mean. You, you always want to follow up. You want to watch content about the games you see, and it's easiest when it's a primarily English thing. But um, the Europe has a, a thing called like the top five leagues, so that would be England, Germany, Italy, Spain, and France. I I do my best to follow those four. I don't. There's really no great way to watch the French league, so I really don't. And also it's dominated by PSG pretty much. But I I do my best to follow pretty closely all of the other leagues. So there's never, ever an instance during the season where there's nothing to watch. Um, 
But yeah, so like the end of July will be the European season kicking off. And it's going to be an interesting one because the World Cup is usually in the summer. Uh, but it's in Qatar and FIFA deem that to be a little too hot during the summer. So we're playing in November and December. So there's going to be a break in the season for the World Cup. So that should be pretty interesting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to have to to catch a few games um because honestly I I probably watched about a half hour of it since we went to the crew game, so Yeah. I'm going to have to uh when you record some some good matches, we'll have to sit down and and check some out here this week so when we sit back down. Yeah. Not sure exactly how frequent this is going to happen. Um like to try to do you know, one every five days or so, but yeah. if it has to be a certain night with our schedules and everything, we'll have to work that out. But, um, yeah. And, and maybe we'll have to, you know, keep it to 60 minutes or maybe not. 90 seems to be a, a good. Yeah. I felt, I didn't feel like we ever got to the point of, you know, dead space, dead silence. you know, so I, I think we did pretty well there. Well, and we'll get a little bit better, um, content wise for sure um but i would say uh for first go around not too shabby and uh yeah since we've you know invested thousands of dollars i would say into this studio probably arguably the most pristine setup i've ever seen ever of any podcast so well that's you know it's rich corinthian leather it's it's fine uh mahogany paneling um the best acoustic materials that money can buy and arguably probably one of the most complicated soundboards that uh two-man podcast uh is working with uh, you know in the modern day i would say yeah uh, i already got emails from uh sony and yamaha wanting to sponsor us so yeah, we should be able to upgrade that equipment pretty soon. Yeah. Well, um, thanks, everybody, for giving this a listen and dropping in with us here. Uh, I'd say this was a pretty pretty fair attempt at it. Yeah. Well, stick around. Not now, but for later episodes, as we are only going to get better. That's correct. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time.